0: Good morning. morning. Happy Easter. Easter. My name is Pastor Daniel. I'm one of the lead pastors here at Resurrection Church. And uh, this is the Super Bowl for Christians. So if we spontaneously break out, cheering, excited, just understand that for us, everything, everything about our faith, our life, our future rests on this idea of Resurrection Day. So much so that we named our church after it. It's a big deal. What you've heard over the course of uh, the last few minutes as we've had these different readings of Scripture is the story of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Over the course of the last three weeks, we've been looking at John chapter 1. And in John chapter 1, Jesus has been inviting his disciples. And the call to those early disciples is simply this. Come And see, come and see, come and see that the Lord is good. Come and experience this. Because if you experience Jesus, then we believe as Jesus begins to awaken you from death, you will recognize his lordship, his kingship. Uh, And what's going to happen? Uh, in, a, in a very interesting fashion with Jesus' disciples. Over the course of this time, they follow him and they experience him. They begin to realize that he is actually the Messiah. He is God's son chosen to come to earth to save them. Is, uh, he's going to turn and look at them and he's going to offer them a very different invitation. He's going to offer them an invitation, not simply to come and see, not simply to come and experience, but to come and follow And I want to invite you to do the same. In fact, as we end the service later today, I want to make sure that I've taken some time to extend the same invitation to you, to come and to follow, to come and to follow. The invitation he's about to give the disciples in Luke 9 is a very interesting one. In fact, it's strange. In fact, it's so strange that uh, I would guess that they probably didn't actually understand exactly what he was talking about at the time because they're already following him, and it's kind of a weird phrase, and we're gonna look at it, and, and, and we do see that at some point they do understand it. Let's just open up Luke 9, and I'll read you this little passage from Luke 9, 18 through 23, and we'll look at this invitation today to come and follow Jesus. Verse 18 says this. Now it happened that he was praying alone. The disciples were with him, and he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? So if you understand, Jesus has just done some amazing miracles. And so he looks at his disciples and he says, who do the, who do the crowd say that I am? And they answered, well, uh, John the Baptist, but others say Elijah and others uh, that one of the prophets of old has risen. These are all the answers that the crowd has given. And then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And Peter answered the Christ of God. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day must be raised. Now, while Jesus has hinted at this uh, thus far in in his ministry, this is the first time he's come out and said this directly to the apostles. Verse 23, And he said to all, If anyone would come after me... Let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. This is the point of today's message. uh, And I want to make sure you see this. And after three weeks of talking about coming and seeing Jesus and experiencing Jesus, I don't want you to miss this. If Jesus is king, you must choose to follow him. This is why he asked the disciples, who do they say I am and who do you say I am? Because once you have a recognition that Jesus is king, you must choose to follow him. You know... It's interesting, uh, we have a big cross on the wall behind us. Do you know uh, the most uh, iconic sort of visual reminder of the church and of the Christian faith over the course of the last 2,000 years has been the cross? But it didn't actually start that way. You know, the, the cross didn't become the visual reminder and the visual representation symbol of Christianity until about the third century. Early on, uh, the church actually didn't use the, the cross much at all. In fact, in early records, when they were hiding from uh, Roman persecution and they were meeting in the catacombs and they were meeting in secret, they used all sorts of other visual reminders. Uh, early on, they actually used the fish. I don't know if you remember that. And I always thought that they used the fish because of all of the fishermen that were disciples and the stories about Jesus multiplying the fish. and It actually has nothing to do with that at all. The word fish in Greek is actually a perfect acronym in Greek for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's use the fish because it was an acronym for our Lord and, I didn't know that because I don't speak Greek. Probably didn't either. But about the third century, it became the cross and the cross has become the central point, the central focal point of the Christian faith as a representation of the Christian faith for thousands of years. And so today I want to talk to you about the cross, why the cross, why the cross is so important, why the cross is central to our understanding of the Christian faith, of what it means to recognize Jesus as King and to follow Him. And I, I want to walk through three points with you today, and that's this the cross illustrates the path, the proof, and the pursuit. I'm a good Baptist, I've got three points, and they all start with the same letter. The cross illustrates the path, the proof, and the pursuit, the path. The cross illustrates the path to salvation for you and I. What is salvation? Well, in its, in its quickest sense, if you've never heard this idea of salvation or you've heard the word but you don't know what it means, salvation is summed up by the apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He would say it this way. This is the most succinct version of what salvation is. It says this. Now I would remind you brothers of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and what in which you now stand and by which you are being saved past, present, and future. If you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless Some have fallen asleep. What is he saying? You don't believe me? There are 500 or more witnesses that watched Jesus walk on this earth after he died. Then he appeared to James. Then to the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Someone had to die for our sin. That is the story of the Bible, that you and I broke faith with. With God that started in the Garden of Eden. And when we disobeyed God, death entered the world, and there had to be a payment made for that disobedience. And you and I carried that weight, that debt, that payment on our shoulders, unable to pay it. Someone had to come pay it. We earned it, but God made a way when he sent Jesus to die in our place. In Romans three twenty 4, and 5, it says this, For all have sinned, that's you and I, and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation, that means payment, by his blood. Jesus paid our debt with his blood. Jesus paid my debt with his blood. Jesus paid your debt with his blood. The blood of an innocent man who had never sinned was necessary to pay for my sin, for your sin. And now, because of Jesus, we have a real path for salvation. But Jesus' blood didn't automatically mean that we were all immediately saved because the Bible would go on to say that we must respond to him in recognition of his lordship and obedience to his kingship. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says this, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with a heart one believes and is justified, and with a mouth one confesses and is saved. Before you leave this room today, or if you're watching online, before you turn off that television today, I want to invite you to do this if you've never done it before. Can it be that simple? Yes. The path to relationship with God, to forgiveness of sin, to everlasting life, to peace, to contentment, to eternity in heaven is awaiting your recognition of the king and submission to him. The cross paved the path to salvation for you and I. It's the path. The cross is also the proof because the cross illustrates the proof of the savior. Do you know, uh, I always thought and I've heard, because uh, I grew up in church, that the real struggle with this idea of Jesus was with the struggle of the resurrection. So, so Jews, even to this day, believe that Jesus walked this earth and that he taught uh, and that he died. But, but they struggle with this idea that he would be resurrected because if that were true, then, of course, he would be the Messiah. And they were really in trouble because they missed it. For thousands of years and so I always thought that most people's struggles was with the idea that that Jesus could be resurrected uh, by the way probably one of the most historically verified facts on earth is the fact that Jesus came back again and yet we still struggle with it and, I, and I, I actually believe that most people struggle with that until I begin to really look at the cross and become to this realization that actually most religions in the world struggle with the idea that Jesus would willingly go to the cross Do you know Islam, because Islam recognizes Jesus as a prophet, as someone that came from God, as someone that was divine, Islam has such a struggle with the idea that Jesus would willingly die that they actually changed the text and they have theories about the fact that it actually wasn't Jesus on the cross. The primary doctrinal idea in, in Islam, as they try to come up with a theological reason, is that God put a spell on people around the crucifixion and substituted Jesus for one of the other people in that area. That person died on the cross because clearly the Son of God wouldn't die on the cross. He couldn't do that. How could we have a Savior that could be so, so weak, so, so humiliated? Nietzsche, as he began to build through uh, philosophies and some of his early writings, uh, struggled with Christianity for a number of reasons. But one of his primary reasons that he struggled with Christianity is the idea that the Son of God would ever be so weak that he would die humiliated on a cross. He could not wrap his head around that idea. But you see, the cross is the proof of the Christ. The cross is the proof. There are so many prophecies in the Old Testament that point toward uh, Jesus' life of how he would be born and what, what line he would be born in, uh, in, 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 in whose um, ancestry he would be born in, in what he would do and how he would accomplish, but particularly, there were many prophecies about how Jesus would die. There are at least 55 different prophecies in the Old Testament specifically about Jesus, and Jesus completed all of those prophecies But key in those is Isaiah 53, in which Jesus would willingly die as a lamb to be slaughtered for our sin. And Exodus 12, the whole reason for the Passover, all the way back in Egypt, was to symbolically begin to point toward Jesus. And the fact that blood would have to be shed of something innocent to cover our sin. Jesus knew all of these. I want to look at two prophecies really quickly as the proof. Of the cross, and these are prophecies actually that Jesus gave on his way to the cross. In Luke 24, 25 to twenty-seven, after Jesus is risen again on the road to Emmaus, he actually is walking alongside his disciples, and, it's, and he says this. And he said to them, "O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken." He's talking to his own disciples. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all of the prophets. He interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. The cross and resurrection proved Jesus. And then the second thing is actually even more interesting. In John 2, 19-22, Jesus answered them. He's talking to the Pharisees. Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And the Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple. Have you ever had anyone give a really dumb answer to a question? Anyways... it's taken 46 years to build this temple. You will raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said it and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken in the gospels, in the accounts of the various apostles of Jesus' ministry before he ever went to the cross. He continues to tell people that he's going to go to the cross. He's going to die and he is going to raise himself to life in three days. Now, have y'all ever seen uh, this basketball player named Steph Curry? Yes. Okay. couple of ya. So Steph Curry's probably the greatest shooter that has ever played basketball. He's so good at this point that there are times where he, he shoots a three-point shot and literally as it leaves his hand, he already knows it's gonna go in and he turns around and he begins to celebrate while the ball's in the air. Now that's impressive, but you know what's really impressive? The guy that says, listen, I'm gonna lay down my life and I'm going to be dead, not kinda dead, but all the way dead, and in three days, I'm going to take my life back. That guy's impressive. I'm sorry. I, I tried. It's not going to work. Okay. The guy that says, I'm going to die. I, there's, a, there's a song I've been listening to lately that I love, because there's a line that says, everything changed the day death died. Because Jesus conquered death. Jesus conquered death. Not only do these prophecies point to the proof of the Christ, but the pain that Jesus suffered willingly points to it as well. Jesus suffered unimaginable pain, not simply professional torture, which already was quite ridiculous, the amount of pain that Jesus would go through as he was flogged with a cat of nine tails, as they pushed thorns into his head, as he was beaten with rods, as he had to walk and attempt to carry his cross all the way to Golgotha, as he was raised up and put on a cross to die but the pain that he would suffer holding and bearing the sin of the world. 1 Peter two twenty two 22-24 would say it this way, he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. By Jesus' pain, we see the proof of the cross. And then lastly, the power. Who has the power to lay down his own life and take it up again? John 10, 18 says, this is quoting Jesus, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. It is the proof because it shows us the fulfillment of prophecies, it shows us the pain that he willingly suffered, and it shows us the power and the authority it would require to come back from life again. So the cross illustrates the path, the proof, and lastly, lastly, the pursuit, the pursuit. This is what he's explaining to the disciples in Luke nine twenty three this idea that the cross actually shows us and illustrates not only what Jesus did, but how we're to follow Jesus. And so to a group of confused disciples who have been following Jesus, for Jesus to turn to them and say, if anyone would follow me, that's gotta be kinda weird, because they're like, if anyone would follow you, Jesus, for years now, we've been following you. We've been poor, we've been hungry, we've essentially been on a two-year camping trip. We don't have anywhere to stay. We've watched you do miracles. We've been reviled by other people and they've hated us. Well, What do you mean? If we would follow you, we're already here. If anyone would follow me, if anyone would come after me. The gospel is about voluntary surrender. Voluntary surrender. If you're in your Bible in Luke nine twenty-three, over off to the side, I just want you to write voluntary surrender. Everything about how Jesus came and lived and died and rose again is about voluntary surrender. I want you to see this. Jesus is explaining to the disciples that they don't understand but they understood it later in fact if we read the disciples later as they begin to write letters to the churches to encourage them we see that they finally got it in Philippians 2 5 through 11 it says this have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus who though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus voluntarily went to the cross. He humbled himself. He denied himself and was obedient to the Father. And he asks us to do the same. Luke nine twenty three. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me daily. If anyone would come after me, Jesus saves you. Can we all agree Jesus saves you? Okay, you didn't save yourself is all the point I'm trying to make. We're all about self-empowerment, right? It's 2023. It's like you do you, boo, (laughs) right? It's all about you being the best you. Sorry, I didn't, I don't know where that came. It wasn't in the notes. I'm going to blame that on the Red Bull. My, my point is, listen, you and I have never had a spiritual thought that God didn't stir up first. Does this make sense? And, and, and here's how I, I'm trying to explain. How do you know that? Because the Bible says you were dead in sin, and skeletons don't have thoughts. Yes? Yes. So, so, so you weren't dead in the grave pondering, I wonder if I should go to Jesus today. That didn't happen. You were dead. Not like kinda dead, not like Princess Bride, mostly dead. Dead, dead, like D.E.D. dead. Y'all, we in Oildale. Anything goes. Dead dead. You were dead. And dead bones don't consider spiritual things. I was dead. I was all the way dead. Dead in my sin, dead in my trespass, far from God, an enemy of God. And when I begin to consider spiritual things, that was actually me responding to God awakening my soul wooing me, stirring things up, putting an actual heart in me to consider those things. Because of my own accord, I couldn't do any of those things. Unlike Jesus, I couldn't resurrect myself and you couldn't either. The ego that we have to think that we somehow chose God It's like the guy is on the operating room table and dies. He flatlines, he's clinically dead. There's nothing there. And the surgeons and the ER doctors take the defibrillators and they're And at some point, he comes back to life and sits up and he's like, I'm glad I chose to live today. Man, you choose nothing. At some point, You have to understand and recognize the hand of God on your life. If you've been saved, it's because God chased you down. And after he awakens my soul, after he has awakened me to these things to begin to even consider spiritual things, to, to even be, begin to understand that he, he's there and he's real and he's king and he's Lord, then, and only then, do I have some decisions to make. Because I can clearly see his goodness and I can see his authority and I can see his grace and I can receive his forgiveness and I can acknowledge his saving work and I can I can treasure being adopted as a son or a daughter of the king. But then Jesus Christ, goes and says, but now to come after me, that's going to be hard. It's going to be hard because this life will be painful. This life will be cruel. In fact, he'll even say, listen, take heart because when you realize that the world hates you, just take heart. It hated me first. And I'm left with this choice as he's awakened my soul and he saved me from death. Then he says, will You follow me. We acknowledge his kingship. We acknowledge his lordship. We realize his authority, but then we have a choice. Will you follow me? If anyone would come after me and if anyone would follow me, they must. What do they do? Number one, deny yourself. Deny yourself. That is about the most un-American thing I can imagine you saying, Jesus. Have you not read the Bill of Rights? Over the course of the last few years, one of the things that I've really struggled with is uh, the the Holy Spirit pointing out to me all of the areas that I'm not gentle. And if you're not familiar with this, uh, gentle is a prequalification for an elder, it's a prequalification for a pastor, it's one of the spiritual fruits. Anger's not. If you've been angry lately, you can put that little nugget in your pocket for later. (laughs) And the problem was not that I didn't know that I was supposed to be gentle. The problem was I didn't want to be gentle. None of y'all? Okay, just me? Just pretend that you've struggled with that at some point in your life. But, But what Jesus would say is, listen, if you will deny yourself, if you will imitate me, if you will look at what it looked like for me to go to the cross, and you'll begin to do the things that you don't want to do, then over time I have the power and the purpose in your life to make you want to do those things. So it starts in, in practicality by you doing something that you do not want to do because you recognize the authority of the King. And over time, as you do those things, he transforms your heart to desire those very things that you did not want to do. It's voluntary surrender. And the crazy part is that's not even the controversial part of the thing that Jesus is about to say. Even though it's incredibly hard to live a life of denying ourselves. I read a a phenomenal quote about the weight of the cross that I just wanted to read you. And I had to fit it in somewhere. So it's right here. So enjoy. Christians follow their Lord by imitating his life and obeying his commands. To take up the cross meant to carry one's own cross to the place of death. Many Galileans had been executed that way by the Romans. Romans. Applied to the disciples, it meant to identify completely with Christ's message, even if it meant death. Christ's followers must deny selfish ambitions and selfish desires to use their time and their money their own way. Following Christ is costly now, but in the long run, it is well worth the pain and effort. People are willing to pay a high price for something they value. Is it any surprise that Jesus would demand this much commitment from his followers? There are at least three conditions that must be met by people who want to follow Jesus. They must be willing to deny self, to take up the cross, and to follow him. Anything less is superficial. We deny ourselves, the second thing we do is we pick up our cross. I, I spent the first part of this message talking about the importance of the cross so that you have come to this understanding. When, when Jesus explains this to the disciples in Luke 9, he, he hasn't even told them he's going to the cross. Actually, he's just told them he's going to die. But, but no one would conceive going to the cross. And the reason no one would conceive dying on a cross is because of just how incredibly... Uh, the cross was so vulgar in the first century that Roman citizens legally Roman citizens couldn't be killed on a cross. It, it was actually reserved only for the worst criminals, those that would take part in sedition, uh, non-Roman citizens that would murder. No one went to the cross. You, the reason you didn't go to the cross is because it was egregious. It was the worst form of torture. It was torture perfected. It was meant to keep you in as much pain as possible and delay death so that you would experience more pain, in, there's one Roman scholar uh, in the first century that said it is absolutely offensive to even speak of a Roman citizen and the word crucifixion in the same sentence. It's that bad of a penalty. So for Jesus to look at his disciples and say, Pick up your cross, you're going to pick up the very element of your torture the very thing that's going to kill you and you're going to walk it to your place of death. In the Roman world, the reason you did this, the reason you picked up your cross and took it there was not because they had a transportation problem. They could have got the cross there. The reason they made you carry your cross to the place of your death was to signify your submission to Rome's power. They wanted you to know on your way to your deathbed, Rome won you lost. And what is Jesus saying to his disciples? I, every single day of your life, following me, I want you to pick up your cross and carry it. What is he saying? What is he saying? I won. I am King of kings and Lord of lords. And I won and I win and no one else wins. And if you want to follow me, there's this recognition that I'm submitting to his authority and his power and his lordship and his kingship. So every single day I'm resubmitting to that and I'm picking up my cross as I follow Jesus. Because if you want to follow me, it won't be enough to deny yourself you must be willing to submit to his authority to such an extent that you're willing to die to your former self, die to your former desires, die to your former wants and ways of life. The things that you thought were wise before Jesus seem like folly, goals you had before Jesus. Oftentimes, you must die to, to follow him. I just want you to think about this for just a minute. When when you When you really want to come after Christ, there's this possibility that just about everything that I've ever learned and known from this world is wrong. (laughs) That all the knowledge and all the morality and all the desires, all the goals that I had, that every little bit of it, that Jesus has the right to look at it and say, die to that, put that to death. And my question for you is, can you, will you follow him if that's the cost? because there are good, noble, interesting, beneficial things that Jesus will ask you to kill and walk away from. That's the kingdom perspective of Jesus. And that he tells us to to grow in this. And it means that many things, maybe maybe close to everything in our life is open to changing because he points at it and says, die to that, die to that and follow me. Deny yourself, pick up your cross daily and follow me. Your job, your career path, your retirement, where you live, what you want, who you will marry, where you'll spend time, money, effort, down to your very personality, your attitude, your tone, your actions, your thought life, all of it, all of it. In the same way that Jesus would hang naked from a tree, our lives are fully exposed to the light of the gospel. And Jesus builds our new life step by step by step as we follow him. Deny yourself. Pick up your cross daily and follow me. The last part, follow me. If Jesus is king, you must choose to follow him. If Jesus is king, you must choose to follow him. I got saved at a, at a really early age. I had this recognition really early on that Jesus was king, that he was the authority, that he was in charge. I knew that. I knew it intellectually. I knew it in my heart I knew he was king. So Jesus saves me and then I chose to not follow him. And for about 10 or 15 years of my life, I just chose to not follow him and he just chased me down and he chased me down and he chased me down. And the thing about running from Jesus, y'all, he got long legs. He just—he's relentless in his love and his grace and his mercy. And the more I rebelled, the more he chased me down. I talked to a, a brother this last week, about a week ago, and man, we have walked through this guy, um, addiction after addiction, relapse after relapse, who has made a devastation of his life. And man, God has relentlessly pursued him. And no matter how hard he runs, God is there. And he's just like, man. And I'm like, I know. I know I've done it. And at some point you stop running and you turn around and you choose to follow him. So two things for you today and I'll let you get back to Easter eggs. (laughs) Number one, number one, if you've never put your faith in Christ, i want to give you an opportunity to do that today and come and talk to us about a next step. We're going to do the next step today, Spoiler alert. The Bible would say this if you will confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that He is your King, you will be saved. That's it. Is it that easy? It's that easy. Trust me, the next part's hard. It's that easy. If you've been struggling with that, I want to give you an opportunity, whether you're here or you're online, to do that today. We're going to have a prayer team and our elders off to the sides today because it's about to get really loud in here because we're celebrating like it's the Super Bowl and we won because we did. If you want to put your faith in Christ today and make that public, we want you to come up and talk to us. We're going to do believer's baptism. So Jesus would say that the first thing that you do after you declare with your mouth and you believe in your heart that he is king is that we dunk you under water. Not because you're smelly, but rather because the first act of dying to ourselves and picking up our cross and following him is publicly acknowledging that he's our Lord and King. And so we want you to go Facebook official with Jesus today. And the way that we do that is believers baptism, the symbolic act of taking someone and putting them under water and bringing them back up is symbolically to parallel the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus in which we die with him and are resurrected with him. And we do that with water, thankfully, instead of a cross. And so if you want to do that, we want you to come forward in just a moment. Our prayer team and our elders will talk to you. Pastor Mark will get, grab you. We have towels. We have clothes. We, I mean, like, like, we are ready for you. So we want you to come forward and do that today. But secondly, if you're like me, if you made a decision at some point, you acknowledge, man, Jesus is my king. He's my king. And then you realize that the path to actually follow him was really hard and wasn't nearly as easy as you thought it would be. And so you got a little hesitant about whether or not following Jesus made sense. Man, I want to tell you two things. Number one, it's worth it. It is, it is difficult, and it is a life potentially of, of pain and persecution and difficulty, and it is amazing. There's no peace. There's no contentment. There's no satisfaction. There's no community like following the king. There's, there's, no, there's nothing like it. That's all I can tell you. There's nothing like it. And the second thing is this. If you've acknowledged him and he's your king, but you've decided not to follow him and instead you've gone a different direction. Listen, there's a lot of stories in the Bible that I can point to that, that show what it looks like to try to run from Jesus. He's got long legs. He doesn't get tired. And you can't hide from him. So if today needs to be the day, in which you turn from your running from Jesus and instead acknowledge not only his lordship of your life, but your decision to follow him. We wanna celebrate that with you. We wanna talk about what that looks like with you. We wanna help you as you follow Jesus. We wanna walk along with you. It starts with this. It starts according to the Bible with you simply repenting. All of salvation starts with our repentance. Repentance means this, I was wrong, you were right. Here's a hint, it always works that way with God. I'm always wrong. He's always right. Say it with me. I'm wrong. He's right. See, you're already there. The band's going to play a banger of a song while we cheer like crazy because he's risen. See, you're getting it. We're going to get ready for baptism. Those of you that are sitting in your seat wrestling over this idea one last time, it's worth it. And if you need to make a decision to turn away from what you have been doing and turn toward Jesus today, we're going to be up here to pray with you. We love you. You move as the Lord leads you, and you sing until you're horse.